You are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with faith leaders and academics to explore deep questions of meaning. Questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we are very honoured to welcome to our show the Most Reverend John Wester, Archbishop of Santa Fe. Archbishop John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Neil. It's an honour to be with you. It's wonderful to be with you again. It's been a while since we've been together um, with, uh, in our interfaith discussions, so I'm, I'm very excited to have you here. This, this is a time of, 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 of extraordinary upheaval, of impossible challenges for so many people. We're faced with a global pandemic, the likes of which hasn't been seen in our lifetime. And so I think the first question for me is, how has this pandemic affected you? And how has it affected the archdiocese? Well, the um, yes, the, the global pandemic has been a, a real heavy cost for us in the archdiocese. It's um, we, uh, as you know, may people have heard that we've uh, twice now. This is the second time just recently we had to suspend temporarily suspend church services because we had such a spike in cases. And of course, people already feeling isolated. They feel um, alone and. So the one thing we want to have is church services, but because of the virus and the way it transmits, we don't want to put people in jeopardy. So uh, we have alternate services. We have people in parking lots. Uh, so it's had a very practical effect on how we gather for worship. Uh, people come in their cars or they live stream. We have people, uh, we have in our Catholic tradition, we call the, the home is the domestic church. And so we're encouraging people, home is the holy place. And we encourage people to stay home and to pray with their families, to go live stream with the masses, to open the scriptures, to pray the scriptures with their families, to have other forms of Catholic prayers. So we're doing everything we can to stay close to our people uh, as best we can, and at the same time, keep people safe. But it has had a tremendous effect. It's had a, it's, it's had a very, and I think, you know, at this point now, uh, people are tired of isolating. They're tired of wearing a mask. They're tired of being careful. And so we have, you know, what they call pandemic fatigue. But this is precisely when we need to stay the course. So we have to keep persevering. I, I, I find it fascinating because, of course, in the Jewish tradition, we pray very differently. We don't have anything like, um, like the Eucharist. Um, so it, it's quite different for us. For us, we can lead services in home online because there's no taking of the body or, or blood or, or of Christ. Um, so how is that different for you? Um, how is that different for members of your church? Is there a, a, a different feeling of, of lack of want? Is there a need to be present? Yes, there is. And and of course, what this is doing, I think, Rabbi, is it's really giving us uh, a deeper sense of our liturgies, of our gatherings, because we, in our, when we come together for prayer, we have really two main parts, the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. And so probably our services, your services and ours, are most akin in the liturgy of the word. Uh, we will have readings for our scriptures, the Luke, for example, when Jesus stood up and read from the Torah in the temple. 
And so we'll have that reading and then we'll break it open and pray over it. So we have that, but then the second part is the Eucharist. And that's what people are missing the most to be able to receive a communion. However, we do have people who may receive communion as I say outdoors, we have provision for that. But uh, nonetheless, people like to be doing it, uh, you know, gathering indoors to do it. But we're trying to avoid large gatherings for an extended period of time uh, indoors. So those are the three things we're trying to avoid right now. So you're right. I think uh, it's not as, as adaptable to do it at home, but it is adaptable. It is possible. And perhaps people will deepen in their appreciation for God's presence in the word. Our, we, our, we teach in our faith that God is truly present in his word. And the word is very sacred as it is in your faith. So, so this is something I think we have very much in common. So perhaps maybe the pandemic almost uh, helps focus your worship on, on, on particularly the word as opposed to the Eucharist. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's, 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 it's emphasizing the word because that's most easily celebrated and shared in this format, live stream, in the home, maybe uh, parents gathering their children together to pray. So that's a plus. Uh, the not able to get to communion is a, is a negative. That's because that's, we are a sacramental church. We're an incarnational church. And so that for us is very, very important. But, I, I, but what I'm trying to do is to stress that God is present in many, many ways to us. And so we mustn't uh, ignore the other ways that God is present by giving uh, you know, exclusive attention to one manner of presence uh, to the detriment of the other. So it's like a husband and wife can be present to each other in many beautiful ways. They can write notes, they can share coffee together, they can, uh, beautiful ways that couples express their love for each other. They're different, they're not all the same, but they're all, but they're all uh, have their place. And so we're saying for now, temporarily, let's do this to keep people safe, you know, and that way when this is all over, sooner than later, I hope, we can come back again to church. It's fascinating that you compare it to husband and wife. So there's this almost love relationship. And, and if the husband and wife can't be together physically, that doesn't mean it's the end of the relationship. That's correct. That's exactly right. You know, you could talk over a, a cup of coffee or you could walk on the beach hand in hand and or you can have a very deeply intimate conversation. But these are all ways. And, I, and, and God is love. You know, God is love. And so God expresses God's love for us in so many ways that, and God promises to be with us until the end of, you know, that beautiful Psalm. One thing I seek of the Lord, this I ask to be with the Lord all the days of my life. This is a love relationship with, you know, Adonai. This is a beautiful relationship. So it is a love relationship. And so we're trying to emphasize that aspect, but acknowledging, I want, I, I know people are upset and I do acknowledge their pain. I totally understand, certainly from my perspective, we obviously have a different worship form and a different, um, a, a different need for togetherness. But I've always said I'd rather lead prayers to an empty room than over the grave of a member of our community. Mm. Um, because this, we, we feel that, I, I, I think a lot of people feel so uh, invulnerable, so I I can do anything. It won't affect me. I'm healthy. And, and, and I guess the question that comes to me asking you is, is you're a leader of a lot of people. Um, I, I don't know how many people are in the archdiocese total um, who are practicing Catholics and so on, but, 
But what does it mean for you as, as the leader in the, during a pandemic? What, how does that reflect for you? I have a community of 700 people. You must have thousands upon thousands. What does that mean for you personally in terms of that responsibility, that, that spirituality? Where, where are you with that? Well, I think, Rabbi Neil, you, for me, you've hit the nail on the head in that it boils down to, I mean, the easier thing for me to do would just be to kind of sit back and say nothing and just hope for the best. But when the cases started to spike again this September and October, um, I felt that it was a matter of, of conscience, really, to protect people. Because it's not about me. It's not about any individual. It's about all of us together. It's about the common good. And it's about coming together. And some people say, oh, you know, I'm young and I don't care if I get it or not. I'm sure I'll be just fine. Well, fine. But you could be asymptomatic and give it to somebody else. So stay away from large gatherings indoors for an extended period of time for the others, if not for yourself, for others. Tragically, I know this is only one example, but one young person I saw, heard about, uh, probably in his mid-20s, I don't know, had that attitude, went to a party, unmasked, you know, enjoying himself, got COVID, and he ended up dying from it. And, and he said, I made a big mistake. Uh, I saw Governor Christie said that, you know, when he got COVID, he came out of the hospital, he said, I was wrong, wear a mask, you know. So I, to me, those things are telling. I, I feel a responsibility for people. If I'm gonna err, I'd rather err on the side of, of, of caring for people's lives. Sometimes people say, well, you're my shepherd. You should care about my soul, not the doctors worry about my body. And I say, yes, but Jesus cared about the whole person. Our faiths care about the whole person and we don't bifurcate the human person. We are, we are body and soul. And, and so we're, we're one being. And God cares for the whole, whole of us. And so I believe that we need to grace builds on nature. And I believe that we have to take care of ourselves. And people say, well, this is a violation of my religious liberty. And I say, no, it's not. It has nothing to do with religious liberty. It has to do with the virus. A virus spreads uh, through the airway, through the air and aerosol. And that's so we just respond scientifically. And it's not, no one's taking away religious liberty. I think that's an overreach. So I, I'm fascinated by this. This leads us into the sort of slightly more theological aspect, um, the religious aspect of the pandemic in the sense of, um, of what does it mean to you to be a Christian, to be a Catholic in the middle of this pandemic? What does it mean for you to be, um, what does it mean theologically almost? If people are saying it's a violation of my religious liberty and you're saying, no, it's not, you know, the religion still continues and, and our way of practicing it still continues. I, I guess for me, the, the core of that is theological. So does the pandemic affect your views on God? Does it highlight particular views on God? Um, what are those views? Well, for me, I know people, uh, that's a very good question you ask and present. And I think to me, it, Frankly, it strengthens my faith in God and it strengthens my belief that God is with me always, no matter what. Uh, you know, God is not a God of good fortune. You know, it's not a God of, of, you know, if I'm really doing well and that must be because, you know, God's rewarding me. God is with me at all times. God gave us free will. God put us on this earth to be able to, to grow closer to him and to one another and to preserve the creation that God made. God created all things and saw that it was good. And so for us, you know, God is in everything. 
And God is in pain. You know, Rabbi Herschel wrote the famous book, Why Do you know, Good People Suffer Bad Things? And, and, and we realize that God is in everything and leading us to new life. And sometimes that new life uh, is not, you know, the process, the, the way, the via is not pleasant sometimes, but it is new life. So we don't look for pain. We don't look for suffering. We don't look for sickness. But when it comes our way, we see that God is in it. Uh, for us as, as Catholics, we believe that Christ suffered and that that suffering is redemptive, that he made all suffering redemptive and that we therefore grow into new life through our suffering. It's a means to an end, if you will. We don't, it would be, you'd be mentally ill if you sought out suffering. But if, if it comes your way, then you accept it and, and see how, Lord, are you calling me to grow in this? And, and eventually, our final suffering, one way or another, will be to die. But that's the suffering that will lead to eternal life. So, so for us, it's it's um, it's not like God is. Sometimes you hear that, well, God is punishing us, or this means that we've been doing this wrong, and God is trying to purge us now. And that's not how God operates in our theology and our thinking. God is a loving God who gave us free will and gave us the opportunity to respond in a mature, faith-filled way to bring new life, even through suffering. You mentioned something that's fascinating that God is, you said God is not the God of good fortune. And that sounded like um, quite a clear rejection. It's called the prosperity doctrine, I think. Um, this idea that um, it's also almost deuteronomic, isn't it? That if, uh, if you have good, it's because you've done good. And if you have bad, it's because you've done bad. You're saying something very different, which is much more nuanced contemporary theology, I think. Um, which sounds to me like it's not that simple and we can find God even in suffering, but that doesn't mean that suffering is our fault. Would, would that be a fair way to describe some of what you've said? I think it would very, very much so. It, it harkens back to me, remember that book years ago by Scott Peck, The Road Less Traveled, and the first chapter, the first page, the first sentence was three, sentence, three words, life is difficult, period. There's a, you know, and all of our neuroses, some would say, can be boiled down to our avoidance of that reality. People have set up, our society has set up, commercials, uh, the marketing business sets up, the pain is bad. And we spend billions of dollars avoiding pain. Uh, you know, if I have a headache, I'll take a Tylenol or an aspirin. I'll give, you know, uh, if I have a stomachache, I'll take a Pepto-Bismol. How about staying with the pain and listening to my body and listening to the pain. And maybe what my body is telling me is that I'm drinking too much or I'm eating too much or I'm not sleeping enough or I'm under too much stress. And so pain is not the enemy. Pain is actually part of life. The enemy really is avoidance of pain. The enemy is not realizing that God uh, gave us this life and it, it, pain is a part of it, but it's only a part of it. So I think what, we, what some people tend to do is they say pain is the enemy and joy and pleasure and money and material goods, that's the good thing. Well, not really so. Look at all the people that have all those things and they end up committing suicide. So I think the, the, the solution is God is love. And when you enter into a love relationship, any love relationship, there's always pain. But that pain leads to deeper love and more life. I think that's a wonderful summary because so many times when I talk to people who are religious, they talk about God is good and therefore only, you know, I, I can 
almost guide my moral compass by the reward and punishment that I get. But it almost sounds like your, your repeated focus on God is love means a much more holistic, a larger um, uh, approach to life in terms of suffering as well. That's exactly right. And, and God calls us to relationship. The scriptures, as we read the scriptures, that all the way through, both Testaments talk about relation, right relationships, right relationships with God, right relationships. And, and for I know in your wonderful faith, you know, the law, the importance of the law is to protect relationships, the relationship with God, with Adonai, relationship with the community, relationship with the alien. I mean, this is all of this is what our faith is about, right relationships. The emphasis on goods and, and all of that materialism is on me. So that's not that's the opposite of relationship. That's that's egocentric. But religion and faith is all altruistic. It's going out. God comes out of God. God creates because of God's love and calls us into relationship. So we have to take a pause. But what I'd like to do is come back to the idea of relationship and particularly after the break for us to look at those interhuman relationships. Uh, that we form and that, that we see are rising at the moment. So we're just going to take a brief pause. Uh, you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom here in Santa Fe. Uh, my guest this evening, uh, the Most Reverend John Wester, Archbishop of Santa Fe, and we'll be back after this break. You're back listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom here in Santa Fe. Uh, my guest, the Most Reverend John Wester, Archbishop of Santa Fe. And before the break, we were having a wonderful conversation about the pandemic and we moved into relationship. And I think, I think we need to address the larger relationships that we're seeing um, rising to prominence now, um, the, the, particularly in the Black Lives Matter movement, um, which started seven years ago with the acquittal of George Zimmerman uh, regarding the death of Trayvon Martin, and since then, there have been a number of high-profile deaths of African-Americans, such as Eric Garner and Michael Brown, Philando Castile, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, among many others. And that's shown the urgency of addressing police brutality, particularly against African-Americans. And it's opened the eyes of a lot of people to, to the systemic racism in this country. Not just people, but institutions, too, are becoming aware of it. So I, I guess my question for you is how has the Archdiocese of Santa Fe responded to this really public awakening of racial awareness? And, and, and I guess also, what does the phrase Black Lives Matter, what does that mean to you? Well, um, thank you for, for pointing to this, Rabbi. I think that um, this has been a very um, critical intersection for us in the Archdiocese. We have a, a, a group called the African-American Catholic Community and their uh, committee, and they, um, uh, for example, when George Floyd was killed, uh, right away we had a, a prayer service, which was very moving. We had many people come out in, in the middle of the pandemic, but we had we were allowed to be in church at that time, and we did have live streaming as well. So we had a very moving ceremony, a prayer service, and uh, I could just see the people hurting, you know, of all cultures, of all different backgrounds. Uh, you know, at this um, terrible uh, rash of killings that we're experiencing and seeing. 
So it's emblematic of something that's really always in our country, uh, sometimes beneath the surface, and sometimes it, it raises its ugly head, and that is racism and systemic racism. I know many people, I've talked to people who say, well, that's not true, but I believe it's very true. Um, you know, the systemic racism that we experience in our cultures, in our societies, in our countries, and here in the United States. So uh, we're, we continue to reflect and to, to read the signs of the times, how we can respond in ways and awareness to systemic racism and where we find it. And to be quite blunt and, and honest, uh, there's systemic racism in the Catholic Church. I mean, we are a divine and human institution. And we, I think that we're blind not to, to see that. I remember, uh, I think it was Charles Blow who writes for the New York Times, he wrote an article some time ago, and it's an interesting provocative thing he said. He said, the only response to someone who says to you that, you know, uh, that you're guilty of racism is, I'm sorry. Because any other response is just denying the reality. I think as human beings, we have to admit that there's something in us. Maybe it's that, you know, when we're back in the cage, we had a who's the friend and who's the enemy. And we had to distinguish for self-preservation. But I think we have to always be alert to how am I culpable in this? And I know you asked, you know, about the uh, what the Black Lives Matter means. To me, I think it's a very important movement. Now, I know that there are political overtones to it. I know uh, perhaps in some instances, people have co-opted it for their own ends or means. But I think it's important for us not to lose sight of the original cry for, for the, the, the original cry and that is, this is wrong. This systemic racism, it began with slavery and it continues continued in our history to the present day. And I think that we need to confront it in order to help us to move away from it. But it's gonna be an ongoing, as I say, an ongoing reality because uh, that's something that we're all, in my opinion, we're all guilty of to one degree or another. You said something quite extraordinary for, for me. You said that the Catholic Church is a divine and human institution. And um, I, I don't think I've ever heard a member of Catholic clergy talk with such openness about the dual nature um, of, um, of the church or indeed of, of uh, well, let's just say of the church. So what that means, this, this moves into that sort of infallibility aspect almost. Um, and I, I guess I, I just want to, to bring out more. I don't want to highlight your faults. That's definitely not what I'm trying to do. But, but, but you, you said something that is very real and very important. Um, how do you find the balance then between being divine and human, especially with something like racism? I mean, you know, for you to say there is racism in the Catholic Church because it's a divine and human institution, I think is a huge and important statement. What does that mean? How do you find the balance between the divine and the human in order to move forward? I think for me, the balance could be perhaps summed up when, um, uh, remember uh, a while ago when Pope Francis was first elected and the, uh, Father Spadoro asked him, who are you? And he thought for a bit and then his response was, I am a sinner. And this is the Pope talking. And so he said, I am a sinner. It's interesting, that's the first thing he said. You know, he didn't say I'm an intellectual or I'm a pastor or I'm the, he said, I'm a sinner. So I think that gets to what we're talking about, Rabbi Neil, that 
that Jesus, for us, Jesus founded the church on Peter. He founded the church on Peter, the rock. Peter means rock. Simon, Petrus. And so, you know, some have said, spiritual writers, that Jesus might have had a twinkle in his eye founding his church on Peter, the rock, when Peter was anything but a rock. He betrayed Jesus. Uh, he was always missing the point. He was, you know, there, so, there, so the church is this coming together of God, human and divine, as I say. And obviously the divine nature of the church, guided by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, with God's presence, uh, that is infallible, that is uh, pure, that is uh, without prejudice, without racism, that's God, pure love. Uh, but we, the, you know, we talk about the church as living stones. The church is not just mortar and brick, but the church is the human beings that make it up. And we human beings are sinners. So there's that human and divine. So that's what I mean by we must look at our own culpability in terms of racism. And not to do so, to be defensive, is I think to miss the point and to miss the opportunity to grow and to see where it exists and where we can, you know, move away from it. Thank you. We've got just a few minutes left. And um, I think if we're talking about race, I think it's important to also mention the Native American community locally. Um, they've been increasingly vocal in their pain and anger is what they see as having their historical trauma ignored. So I guess just in the final couple of minutes, does the Archdiocese of Santa Fe work with the local Native American community to address the wounds that exist between the Catholic Church and the local Native American community? And, and if so, how? Yes, yeah, well, we certainly do. And, and it's one of my privileged parts of my ministry to work in the Native American community, the 19 Pueblos in our own Archdiocese of Santa Fe. Uh, we meet regularly. We have all kinds of, I come to the Pueblos, they come to the Catholic Center. We have meals together. We celebrate liturgies together. We do a lot together. We learn from one another. Uh, we've been uh, very close. We have, uh, and also acknowledge, you know, the sins of the past, the ways in which we haven't been working together, ways we did not respect one another historically, and seeking to amend that. One big example would be the Entrada uh, in Santa Fe every year, how we came together for about 11 and a half months to work out a way that we can come together, Native Americans, uh, Hispanics, uh, people of New Mexico, all coming together to celebrate what we have in common. And that's a lot, we have a lot in common. But we also have to be aware of the times when we have hurt one another and express sorrow for that. And for my mind, it's not a question of who has the most, well, who, who, who hurt whom most, or, you know, let's kind of tip it. Right. Somebody has to go first, somebody has to say, look, I'm sorry, and see where that leads us. So I think that's the process we're in. We have a wonderful relationship, but at the same time, we want to continue to deepen that relationship by admitting when we have uh, uh, erred and when we have uh, not been our best. I think this has just been fascinating. Um, it, it's wonderful to, to, for us to spend time together anyway. Um, it's always wonderful to spend time with you. Uh, you've opened up so many doors here, and, and I do hope that you'll be able to come back to our show and for us to explore more, perhaps to talk about interfaith dialogue as a larger thing or, or the future, or, or where do we see um, Christianity and, and interfaith dialogue, where do we see it developing in the future? 
I do hope you'll be able to, to come back to our show because it, it really has been wonderful having you here. Well, thank you, Rabbi. I'm very honored and grateful to you. And I would very much like to talk with you more about our two faiths and, and, and think that would be a very productive conversation. I would grow from it and I look forward to doing that. Thank you. So thank you to Your Excellency Archbishop John Wester, the 12th Archbishop of Santa Fe. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks time, keep searching.